0: Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right-of-center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please follow us on AfricanAmericanConservatives.com. That'll take you straight to our Substack page where you can subscribe to this podcast as well as see our commentary and all of our social media profiles. We are so excited to invite back to the show, Chuck Dixon. Chuck Dixon is a comic book writer and novelist who has filled long boxes and bookcases for decades. He recently released uh, Caravan, uh, the latest in a series of novels featuring Conan the Barbarian, and also released the latest comic book in the Ripperverse, AlphaCore. And we've had a few of the Ripperverse folks on here uh, talking about AlphaCore, so we're pretty excited, which is rapidly approaching a million dollars in sales. Here's the trailer.
1: Florspar can be an unpredictable city. But fluency doesn't mitigate its problems. In some ways, it amplifies them. This is why we're deployed. But we've seen better days. Why are we just now debriefing? This mission is not complete.
2: I only know of (laughs) her. Our lack of data collection is a problem.
1: Valdez, I'm aware of your investigative talents. Braxwell spoke highly of you, and that's why you're on this team. (laughs) Local law enforcement handles itself very well. But there are those with abilities. Some believe themselves to be good. Others don't even attempt to act as if they are. Either way, we're involved. for anything. May I remind you both, we're Alpha Core, and failure is not what we do.
0: Welcome back to the show, Chuck Dixon.
3: Thank you, thanks for having me back. I had so much fun last time.
0: Oh great, we're so excited. The first signal that the Ripperverse was going to be something substantial, rather than just a cash grab by popular YouTuber, occurred when Eric July announced that he did something that writers are loath to do, which was invite another writer to write characters they created. Tell us how you were given this invitation and what were some of the reasons that you accepted?
3: Well, I saw Eric talking uh, uh, a few times on the internet and I liked what he was saying and I liked what he was talking about doing. And, uh, but I knew all the mistakes that a fledgling comic book publishing company can make. So I reached out to him and I said, look, if you ever need any advice, because I, I know everything you can do wrong <laughs> and And if you ever need any advice, you know, please feel free to ask me any questions you want, because I've I've worked for almost every comic book publisher, including plenty that went out of business. And I know the reasons why they went out of business. Uh, Now, as it turns out, Eric didn't need need any of my advice because he never made any of those mistakes. He did his homework. He figured it out. He did the math and he's doing everything right. Uh, But he did reach out just to talk a few times and then eventually said, would you want to join me? Would you want to? Write for the Riververse. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. So there, there we went. And he offered me Alpha Core. He just gave me the, the basics. They're the, the super cops of Flora Spark. He gave me the characters. He suggested two main villains to use. And the rest was up to me.
0: The last time we had the pleasure of interviewing here on ACONS, we discussed your preference for writing uh, about non-super powered, uh, non-superpowered individual characters like Batman fighting to save a neighborhood rather than a team of supermen fighting to save the universe. Yet you have written something very similar to a superhero team in AlphaCore. What did you take away from that experience?
3: Well, the the hook with AlphaCore is that they're not superheroes, the traditional superheroes, vigilantes with secret identities working outside of the law. They're actually law officers. They are police officers in the Forest Park Police Department. And that hook fascinated me because what would a superhero in a police department, how would they be treated by the rest of the cops? And uh, I I, I would just assume they would be treated like a blunt instrument, like a super SWAT team. And, of course, um, our Alpha Corps uh, characters, they don't want to be treated that way. They want to be real police officers. They want to be involved in the. Investigation process and all the rest of it. They want to be seen as just real cops, even though they, you know, they can fly and punch their way through brick walls. Um, and, and that, to me, like created the a, like in advance to me that created the tension uh, between the characters, between the police department, and all the rest of it. And then uh, from there, I just worked out a standard, not a standard, but a a uh, police procedural mystery for them to solve but as superheroes. And of course, uh, it being the Ripperverse, there's a lot of superpowered characters, and I think I created like half a dozen uh, super-villains uh, just in this one thing for them uh, for, for to challenge them. So, um, so it's got a lot of aspects that I like to write. So it's not like a straight-up superhero story, although it's got all the superhero stuff you could possibly want in it. Uh, but it's got that police procedural, police mystery, whodunit kind of thing.
0: As well, very cool. Now, uh, Terrence, are you still okay? This is gonna be a nightmare to edit. Do a lot of Fortunately, my husband who does the editing is a huge Chuck Dixon fan. Oh, okay. So. Okay.
3: He, won't, he won't mind staying up late,
0: he won't, he won't mind. Not for Chuck Dixon. <laughs> Okay, um, so, Alf, as you alluded to, Eric July is a, a marketing genius. Alpha Core, number one, your first book for the Ripperverse, was released just days before we recorded this episode and has already passed the $700,000 mark. That's yep. huge. Yeah. Did you expect to see it hit this level of success so soon?
3: I sure hoped it would because I didn't want to disappoint Eric. Yeah. Um you know i mean he's been really successful with with his first two comics and i had to think well is that because he has such a huge following you know the base it him and how are they going to react to me uh showing up uh and but they have adopted me i'm 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 officially part of the ripperverse as voted in by uh you know eric's subscribers so i'm i'm very pleased cuz the last thing in the world i wanted to do was disappoint
0: what can you tell us about Brian Solari, Braxwell, and Ingrid Valdez, and how are you attempting to convey who they are to the reader?
1: Uh,
3: well, Brian is like our Superman character, but he's he's really a down-to-earth, earthy guy. Uh, uh, he's uh, he's got flaws. Uh, he's a little bit too brash, a little because he's an ex-military guy, an ex-military officer. So uh, he likes to get things done his way. Uh, but he's not he's not a jerk about it. Uh, there's a couple of, of of humor scenes in there where he's basically the butt of the joke, and uh, <laughs> but but he's okay with that. Um Ingrid, you know, she's trying to prove herself as you know, it's a woman in a man's world, whether it's the police or superheroes. Uh, and she's trying to find her place. So she's a she's probably a little bit meaner than the than the, than the other two. <laughs> and then Braxwell, I just look at Braxwell, he's like Clint Eastwood. He, he just doesn't say much. Uh, he's all about what he does, not what he says, because he, he barely ever says anything. He's, he's a, I like him because he's like Snake Eyes. He's kind of an enigmatic character. Uh, you're not real sure where he stands on anything until he acts. And um, that mix of those three characters, that's just terrific dynamic tension within the group.
0: Now, Eric has mentioned that the Ripperverse will be an interconnected series of titles. Uh, part, uh, part that if, say, a city is blown up in Isom, that city has to be at least in ruins, not only in Alpha Core, but as uh, the upcoming books, Yaira and uh, Gooding as well. Right. How is everything coordinated between you and Eric and the Saska sisters and Mike Barron, who is also on the show? He's pretty cool.
3: Yeah. Oh, Mike's awesome. Uh, it, um, well, it's early days in the universe, so there's room to build without bumping into each other all the time. Uh, so I've been, you know, creating stuff, and the Saskia sisters are creating stuff, and I know Mike's going to go crazy creating stuff. So, um, and, and, and my thing to to Eric is, look, I'm just going to go crazy, and if I violate some continuity rule or, or I'm redundant or I contradict something you've already done, just let me know. I'll, I'll rewrite it. I'm fine with rewriting because we want consistency within this universe. We want the readers to feel at home in this new world we're creating. So I'm just going nuts creating like uh, uh, fast food restaurant chains and things like that. It's just all made up stuff for this world. And I'm also, I've, I've worked on two other projects upcoming for Eric that are that build the world even more. One of them specifically is is practically uh, to inform the readers of the history of the Ripperverse. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm deeply involved here. But I, I love doing this stuff. I did a lot of stuff when I was on Batman uh, to basically figure out the logistics of Batman's world. So I really dig this part of the creative process in comics and, and working with everybody else, seeing what they're going to do. It's, it, it, it's really cool. It's really exciting.
0: Now, interestingly, for AlphaCore, Eric brought together artist Joe Bennett, who was blacklisted from Marvel for supporting Jair uh, Bolsonaro, the so-called brilliant uh, Brazilian Donald Trump, and you, also no stranger to blacklisting from the mainstream because of politics. One of the political controversies most associated with you uh, is that you wrote two books for the Alt-Hero Collections, which some view as an endorsement of QAnon. Now, I think that's so crazy because, you know, before we were talking, we were chatting about Alan West, who I work for. And, you know, when I first started working for him as chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, uh, there was this whole thing. He liked this poem because he's a military guy. And it was about, you know, the devil, whispering in the storm, you know, you can't withstand the storm, you know, and you whispering back, I am the storm. And, you know, that's the QAnon expression. And so, you know, you're associated with QAnon and, you know, you're holding uh, Alex Jones's megaphone and it has a QAnon sticker on it. And I mean, the left just goes nuts with these conspiracy theories. What's your take on that?
3: Well, first of all, I must say, you know, I've said off air, I'm a huge fan of Alan West. I have been since he was serving in the military. I uh, just thought, yeah, this guy is one awesome dude. Uh, but you know, as far as the QAnon thing, I mean, what is QAnon? I mean, they blow it up like there's secret meetings. You know, it's this cabal. You know, meeting in a in a in a in a windswept <laughs> castle somewhere. Um, it's it's just guy. I don't even understand what Q is. A uh, QAnon is. It's you know, but you know, old Hero Q, the, the the series I wrote uh, for for Vox Day. It's a right-wing fantasy, and I'm going to admit it's a right-wing fantasy. The Handmaid's Tale is a left-wing fantasy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So why can't we have our, uh, our uh, stories as well? And um, you know, and, and, and imagining that Q is actually like an organization with an operative who's actually in the world, um, and they're guiding him toward these different conspiracies and cabals and all the rest of it. I mean, that's just a fascinating idea. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it. And 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 the thing is, the, the story that I wrote, I mean, I wrote it like two years ago, uh, All Hero Q, and a lot of it's set in Ukraine. And everything I wrote about came true. So,
0: Prescient. <laughs> yeah. uh, you recently <laughs> spoke on your YouTube channel about how DC refused to publish a 1997 Batman story of yours that sounds a bit like the plot of the classic 2012 film Dread. Why did DC decide
3: to shelve this story? Well, the story was about Batman going into a uh, project. It was inspired by the movie New Jack City, in which there was this project building that was like basically an armed fortress for a drug gang. I thought the movie was going to be about that. and It wasn't. I was very disappointed. So I thought, well, let me write a story about that. And Batman goes into a, um, uh, a project that is armed, it's, it's just turned into a, a fortress, much like the, in Dread, much like in the movie The Raid. And uh, he goes in there alone and he gets shot. And um, he can't get out. And this little boy saves him. This little boy lets him into their his mother's apartment. His mother's away at work. She's working at night as a nurse. And he's all alone. It's like this 10-year-old boy saves Batman's life. And uh, it was rejected because we made everyone in the project African American. It's like because that's the way it would be in the real world. They said, "Well, we want a more diverse population in the projects." And I said, well, <laughs> "I'm not writing that cuz that's not real." You know, that's like those 80s movies that would have the united color of Benetton street gang. <laughs> the Asian guy, the Puerto Rican guy, the white guy, the black guy. and It's like, "No, this doesn't this isn't anything like real life." It takes you right out of the story when you see things that you know aren't real life. So they they rejected The the story was completely drawn, and they said we can't publish.
0: You know, that's so crazy. I'm going to have to hand out another one of our ACONS cards because we do this on occasion. You know, when somebody says something and, you know, we we, we verify it and say, well, you're okay to do that. We're Black. We, we put the stamp of approval on it. I grew up in public housing. So, and I grew up across the street from public housing and kitty corner from public housing. I think there were some behind us. Um, 95%, I would say, um, were African-Americans. Um, and, you know, we could talk about a lot of, the political reasons for that. I mean, in the early 70s, when I grew up, uh, uh, they had redevelopment and it pushed all of the folks back into a certain area. And now it's gentrified. And you can talk about all the political machinations behind it. But right. the, the matter is, you know, it's its all about resources. And the fact of the matter is, I was able to get out of that neighborhood. Um, so just because you live there doesn't necessarily have a stigma. It's what you do with yeah what you're given. And so a lot of us got out. Uh, A lot of us were still there when my mom passed away and I went back, you know, there were a lot of second and third generations, unfortunately, but you know, it is a reality that we face and it is up to us to change that. And education was my way out. So anyway, I
3: I mean, I grew up in Philly and we had, you know, the Raymond Rosen project and all this, and and they were, they were all in the African-American neighborhoods. They were all in North Philadelphia. And and to me, it's like wow, this is basically segregation. You know, you're keeping them away from everybody else. I mean, <laughs> this is, and and uh, you know, eventually, thank God, they dynamited those buildings to the ground. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it was. I guess there were good intentions, but we all know <laughs> where they lead.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Paved. Yes. (laughs) Now, speaking of writers taking on other writers' characters, we hear that one of your characters, Levon Cade, is being adapted to the silver screen by none other than Sly Stallone for a movie that will star Jason uh, Statham. How did this come to be? And have you decided what you'll be wearing on the red (laughs) carpet for a premiere night?
3: Yeah, my wife is already talking about that.
0: yeah well we have to plan a little longer you know the hair and like i was saying you know it's not as easy as you guys
3: just you know she keeps you know. asking me when will it premiere <laughs> i, I it starts shooting in march i have no idea when it'll premiere Um, uh, but yeah yeah i mean um i wrote an expendables comic miniseries as a prequel to the first movie and um sly called me he insists i call him sly uh he called cool. me on the phone because he's a big comic fan and he told me how much he loved the comic. And would I want to help him do rewrites on Expendables too? Of course, I said, yeah. So <laughs> they flew me out to Hollywood. And I, I went in with him into a production meeting. And uh production meeting went well. But I learned afterwards, all pro- production meetings seemed to go well until you leave the room. <laughs> so, and they did not want me. So that was the end of my Hollywood career, I thought. But Sly didn't forget me. Uh, We're both Philadelphia guys, I guess. Maybe that has something to do with it. But he didn't forget me. He kept getting me work with Lionsgate, with uh, computer game companies that he was associated with. And then eventually, uh, I proposed doing... uh, He had this crazy idea called Expendables Go to Hell uh, that he knew would never be made into a movie. And I said, well, why don't we do it as a comic? And we did. And since then, we've done a Rambo Rambo comic, which will be out shortly. And... um, from the very beginning, he started reading my stuff, and he loved Levon Cade, my Levon Cade series, and he kept trying to get it done as a feature, or try to get it done as a series. Uh, but you know, COVID, writer strike, actor strike, <laughs> everything kept getting pushed yeah. back. Uh, and then eventually, he he got a production deal together um, with um, a, you know a major studio uh, to get it done with uh, Jason Statham and, and David Ayer. Directing, which I'm really happy about, and Sly wrote the screenplay, which I'm flattered is very, very close to the first novel. I mean, he did a very, very uh, close adaptation of the first book. So, you know, I'm I'm excited about it. This is going to be cool.
0: That is cool. Now, while we're on the subject of movies, you recently responded on Twitter to a variety story about the chaos inside Marvel Cinema, and we touched on that in your last interview, Uh, including a screenplay for the upcoming Blade movie that would have made Blade the fourth lead in his own film behind three women who would be teaching us valuable life lessons. Uh (laughs) unfortunately dc movies are doing no better why do you believe that superhero movies
3: are failing jack well i mean every cycle ends uh but this cycle ran on for a long time uh but they seem intent on ending it themselves by creating movies with you know second tier characters uh and you know a lot of woke writing a lot of like you know uh you know feminist nonsense i mean this is a movie about a guy that hunts vampires. The last thing you want is a life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's about vampires. What, what life lesson are you going to teach those vampires? You're <laughs> dead. Yeah. Uh, and it, but we see this over and over again. I mean, uh, the Hawkeye series basically pushed Hawkeye aside for a female character. The Indiana Jones movie pushes him aside for a female character. The Star Wars franchise, everyone is pushed aside for an ensemble of female characters. And um it's like, okay, I'm all I've I'm all about writing, I've I've I made my bones in this business writing strong women, uh, but not strong feminist women. You know, um and and this is just you know an army of Mary Sue's that we're expected to fall in love with and and want to follow. Uh and I'm I'm just not that into it. You
0: know, that's so crazy because my uh, my husband and I, the other night, we were watching a show that we have decided to check out. You know, I, I'm very cautious about TV anymore because, again, it's, it is just these life lessons and this woke stuff just shoved down your throat. And it was so weird, Chuck, because this one character was a gay character. And we have gay people in this world. I understand that. Um, and he was married to another man. Um, and but he kept saying, "My husband, my husband, my husband." <laughs> and it's like when I talk, and I've said to you, "My husband," but you don't know my husband. My husband's name is Sebastian. Right. If I, if like with with DK and I, he knows who Sebastian is. So I don't say, "DK, you know my husband is da da da." I say Sebastian is doing blah blah blah, right? <laughs> and so he just kept saying, "My husband," and I'm like, I forgot what the husband's name was because they kept saying, "My husband." And so we watched the next episode. It was last night, and. Um, this person was was talking about, you know, and you know, you're, I'm the first person, you're the first person I talked to when I came out as queer. Like we didn't know this character. I mean, the way that they were dressed, the you know, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And there were other, you know, breadcrumbs, but we're too stupid to figure that out. So we need you to tell us 500 times during an hour. Well, what, 44 minutes, because it's 22 minutes for each segment or whatever. So, you know, I, I get it. But yeah. it, it just seems like it's so important to keep shoving that down the throats of everyone. And when you look at the population, I mean, it's it's not even most of the population. No. So you figure there's got to be some white folks somewhere and there's got to be some straight folks somewhere. But no, not in the superhero universe. No.
3: Well, I mean, when they when a writer stops at, you know, describing his character by saying, well, he's gay and then stops there. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> like, oh, that's going to be so fascinating. Because gay people are so fat, we never hear enough about gay people. I wonder <laughs> what they're like. Uh, it's this. I, I use the example of the show The Wire. The Wire had a lesbian cop and a um, a gay gangster, and yet if you watch the show, you never thought of her as the lesbian cop or him right. as the gay gangster. You thought of her as the badass cop and him as the badass gangster and all these other aspects to their characters, the last thing you thought about was their sexual preference because that wasn't the most interesting thing about them, obviously. I mean, do, do we look at straight characters and go, you know, he likes girls? That's fascinating. <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs>
0: you know. It's so crazy because, you know, when I, when I was going to high school, um, I had a, a teacher who was in the gay men's chorus, and that was the first time I ever knew about someone's sexual preference or anything like that. I mean, I had teachers, female teachers, who were named Mrs. This or Mrs. That. So I kind of could, you know, put two and two together and assume maybe they're married. But, you know, that's about as much as I knew. But now it's like you've got pride flags in the classroom and you've got posters and all of this kind of stuff. And it's kind of like, you're right. I mean, I don't really need to know what your sexual preferences are to know things about you. Um, you know, yeah. it's crazy that that we
3: are doing that now. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, if you're straight, I don't want to know what you Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. It's, first of all, it's none of my business. And secondly, ew, you know, it's just too private. That's between you and whoever, you know, I just don't want to know. So, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't get a lot of this. And, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, for the gay community, for a lot of the gay activists, I should say gay activists community. Because, you know, most uh, gay people aren't, you right. know, in your face crazy like this. Uh, the vast majority of gay people aren't in your face crazy like this. But the gay activists, many of whom are straight, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's just all about that. And it's, 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 it's quite boring. But the, the thing is, they want to be outsiders and part of the mainstream at the same time. And, and I think what frustrates them is, is that they are part of the mainstream and have been for a long time. So just be like the rest of us. You're assimilated. Get used to it.
1: Yeah, that's
0: so crazy because I think most of the people who would be considered allies to the black community are white also. So it's just <laughs> kind of like, you know, just let it be. I mean, I, I don't – and and I, I, I really dislike the word ally because I feel like it means that I need someone uh, who is white or some other – ethnicity to come and stand behind me and give validity to what I'm saying, that when I say it on my own, it's not enough. But if you're my ally, then you can come along and you can speak for me. And I mean, that's kind of the very thing that you're fighting against is someone being treated like a child, like they can't speak for themselves. But I don't know. That's that's another political rant for another day.
3: Well, you know, (laughs) to say, well, I'm going to speak for gay people because they can't speak for themselves. I'm sorry, I've never met a gay person who couldn't speak for themselves. I've never met a black person who couldn't speak for themselves. Uh, You know, quite clearly, I think ally is a masking word for, like, helper. Yeah. Like, you need
0: help. Yes. (laughs) And I bristle at that, and people have looked at me like I'm kind of crazy for saying that. And I'm like, no, that's exactly right. So, I don't know. A few weeks ago, Jeff Johns and many other prominent uh, comic book writers and artists left Marvel and DC to form a company called Ghost Machine. According to the press release, the Ghost Machine business model allows the creators to jointly own, run and operate the company and together share in publishing, media, merchandising and beyond disrupting the status quo. What are your thoughts about the potential success of such a venture?
3: Well, I think the status quo has already been disrupted. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, I wish them all the success in the world, but this is like the sixth or seventh announcement I've heard from, you know, former DC and Marvel people who are going to form their own comic company, and and I never saw anything after that. Uh, So, you know, good luck with that. Uh, I wonder who's funding it and how long they'll put up with losing money uh, before, you know, the... This thing collapses. But, and the thing is, when they say we're leaving DC and Marvel, well, did you leave or was there just not enough work for you? Which I think <laughs> is the case. I mean, I started doing more independent work because I wasn't getting enough work uh, from the majors or getting any work for, for years from the majors. So, uh, you know, I got to wonder, you know, will will we see anything from these people? You know, some of them, you know, consummate professionals, I mean, they're, they're great, but, you know, you need money to run that machine. Yeah, You need somebody competent to market it. And if they plan on relying on the comic book stores, it's doomed from the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's funny because it's like, you know, all the people who after Donald Trump won, they said that they were going to move to Canada, all the celebrities. <laughs> and I don't think I'm still waiting. I don't think anyone he
3: well, to- gets reelected.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Okay. Well, Thank you for clearing that up. See, <laughs> we, we, we're all about disrupting myths here on, on Acons. Now, recently, Mark Miller suggested that the way to save comics is to get successful veterans like himself to man the stations. He argues that I quote unquote, I think everybody's got to come in and do a couple of projects and find an artist who's as good as you can possibly get and do some killer run on something, end quote. As one of the few writers who could meet Miller's criteria, do you think a two-year Dixon run on Batman and Nightwing, along with uh, new work from others who have retired or gone independent, can save mainstream comics?
3: I don't think it's enough. I mean, I understand what he's saying, uh, but first of all, a lot of us are making more money out here than DC and Marvel can afford to pay us at the moment. And um, I don't think bringing back guys who haven't had a lot of work in 15, 20 years is going to mean anything because we've lost so many readers. And I don't yeah. think that's enough. You would have to inform all of those readers who went away, hey, the guys you like are back now. How how do you go about doing that? Yeah. And uh, even if you brought back, you know, if you brought back Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway as an example, to do a run on Superman, do a two year run, on, I mean, awesome. I'd read every issue. I'd, I'd be waiting for every issue to come out. But uh, how many former readers would even know about it? And, and then how many new readers even know who Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway are? So, because it's been so long. I mean, I went to a comic shop recently. I was traveling and I was in Maryland. I went to a big comic shop and they I bought a lot of stuff and they wanted to make me. You know, sign this fill out this form, you know, for their big discount. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll take a 10% discount. And they, and they're so the girls filling out the form. What's your name? Chuck Dixon. Uh, and where do you live? And, and that was it. My name meant nothing to her. <laughs> so I said, How long? And I just said, How long have you, have you been reading comics? Said, oh, about eight years. Like, yeah, you wouldn't know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think instead. You, you, we need big. I, I agree with Mark that we need big events to bring readers back, but I think the events you need are crossovers. If Marvel and DC could do a big crossover, and do it right, and do it with the right talent, it would bring readers back because they'd be just curious to see what's happening. That would be the awesome. same way in in the '70s they did uh, Superman and Spider Man, and Superman and Muhammad Ali because uh, it, it, comics were in trouble in the 70s, sales were down, and they used those two pro- projects, and they brought readers back, but they put the best writers, the best artists, and they and they paid higher page rates to get like the most spectacular projects they could, so that when the readers did come back, they were like, ooh, these are really cool, I'm going to start reading comics. Again. And I think that's what we need. We need some really imaginative crossovers with, with top-flight talent doing them. You know, just to grab people's attention, and bring them back.
0: Well, I'm going to bring DK in for the next uh, series of questions. There's a couple questions left. Um, if you're just joining us, our guest is Chuck Dixon. Okay, DK, come on in. Tell us how you doing.
2: I'm doing great. I mean, it's so much fun having Dixon on the show. And I not love Chuck too. Dixon i get to show off my chuck dixon shirt if everyone can see it. all right <laughs> got my joker hat on i get the show off my plate <laughs> this is one of my favorite plates
3: oh that's gorgeous
2: Yeah. Oh, i thought it was going
0: to be your obama plate oh, I'm, so- I'm not <laughs> supposed to say that out
2: loud on air my mother my mother owns an obama plate in case anyone <laughs> I'm, I'm the only conservative. it's his
0: mother's family. right <laughs>
2: But, you know, everyone has their own superheroes. Hers is Obama, mine is uh, Batman. You know?
0: <laughs> if we could only vote for Batman, right? Yeah, wow. seriously.
2: <laughs> so, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, um, uh, first, let me go back to AlphaCore because I kind of screwed that up in the beginning of the show. And this is um, uh, an AlphaCore page I wanted to show everyone. This is where you can. This is uh, the official Ripperverse Alpha Core page, and as you can see, as of this recording, it's up to seven hundred and eighty-four thousand in total sales, which is amazing. Um, it just blows my mind, and you can. I don't think July expected so many sales because we're already at the two hundred sixty-two percent of the sales goal, and you get a nice little. Uh, synopsis of the story the characters um some of the interior art and there's a little bit bit of a competition of the covers here and i want to show my favorite cover i think i'm a minority opinion but i vote for cover d and as you can
3: see i love that cover that's my favorite too i love that cover
2: it's like an old school uh, look about it. It kind yeah. of reminds me of some of the comic books I used to buy when I was in my comic book buying Prime. This is by uh, Mark Evans. So,
3: Yeah, that's um, a beautiful
2: cover. Yeah, it is. But I think cover A is the best selling so far. But There's no accounting for taste. They're all great covers, actually, to be serious. But <laughs> I'm going to go to uh, okay. another character that I've want to talk with chuck about which is a conan the barbarian this is a guy who actually predates superman and batman i think he was introduced in the early 1930s yeah um yeah just so not he never got as big as uh, superman but just an amazing staying power um i know a lot of people know him through the, the schwarzenegger movies but there's still comic books being released on the Conan. I think there's still action figures, and of course, you write a series of books. The latest, of, latest of which being uh, *Caravan of the Damned*. So, could you speak to us about why um, Conan has been able to survive for so many decades, and uh, why he became a fan favorite of yours?
3: And speak to us about the book as well. Well, well, Conan is a character that basically was like gone and forgotten uh, until fans of his, I mean, guys who were like young men reading his adventures and weird tales in the thirties resurrected the character in the fifties. And then they did fanzines and limited edition reprints and things like that. And they kept it alive into the sixties when they started a series of paperbacks reprints. And that's where I first saw Conan and fell in love with the character. I I was 14 years old. The hormones are pumping. Conan is like the perfect character to read, and um, so you know I got you know I I, I got so super involved and I and and then the paperback sold huge for years and years and years, and then Marvel licensed it and the character got even bigger. Schwarzenegger makes a movie and suddenly Conan the Barbarian is a household name, uh, where he never was in, in Robert E. Howard's lifetime, and uh, you know now he's it. Conan is just synonymous with, you know, a big, tough guy. Uh, and I think the lasting power of the character is because he's he's the ultimate male wish fulfillment fantasy. You know, he's tough. He's indomitable. He's smart. A lot of people seem to forget that Conan's a smart guy. He's a very clever guy. Uh, and he enjoys life, even though life is hard. And I think a lot of conservatives like Conan because he has the tragic view of life—that civilization is a um, is a construct, you know—and and you can never forget about the barbarity of human nature. You know, left to our own devices, we are animals. And um, I think that's the appeal to Conan. Uh, you were talking okay. earlier
2: about the importance of those crossovers in comics and. I've seen Conan on the same page as Spider-Man, Captain America, um, Wonder Woman, uh, even Dr. Doom. But I've never seen him on the same page as the king of crossovers, which is, of course, Batman. So oh. um, why, why has that never happened, and how much would you love to write a book like that?
3: I, I don't know. I don't know that Conan lends himself to crossovers. I'm all for crazy crossovers. I love them. <laughs> I propose nutty crossovers. I I almost got a Dirty Harry Batman crossover done once. Um, um, we were real close to getting Dirty um, Batman Dick Tracy. You know, I, I want to cross Batman over with everybody. I just don't think Conan is a comfortable fit, I and mean, he belongs in his own world um, it, because Conan's world is so much a part of who he is. And if you were to take him out of his world, or conversely, uh, put Batman in his world, it's, I don't think the story would make a whole lot of sense.
2: Okay, I have one one final question um of all the characters you've written, what character would you most like to write that you never had a chance to
3: uh my my stock answer on this and it will always be uh, Graham Nolan and I always dreamed of doing like a two year run on Fantastic Four. Wow but, uh, I had that's, no idea that's less and less likely to happen. <that>. We even have our stories worked out. We know what exactly what we would do. Well, I would have guessed someone like the shadow or something
2: like that. I never would have guessed The fantastic four.
3: No, just the just the two of us working together on that would just be a blast.
2: Yeah, that could be amazing, definitely. Yeah, let
3: Marie take over.
0: You know, you could always do a what if, right? And then you could have uh Conan and Batman.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, there's no yeah, reason why you could couldn't do, a do what it. If. He's just. Not, I don't think he's a comfortable fit. Right?
0: No, he's not. But you so know. some
3: characters, yeah, I, I would cross him over with, but not. You know, I mean, you know, you know, something like, I don't, I, I can't even think of a character Conan. I mean, I just, Conan, Conan, aliens, Conan, Predator. Yeah. I would rate them in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat.
0: I have gone through some of Sebastian's what ifs, and they're pretty nutty. So
2: you have a Justice League versus Godzilla coming out soon, so
0: anything can happen. Anything goes.
3: That's a good fit, though. That's a good fit. I want. I want to see that one. Yeah, so do I. See, that's what I mean about crossovers. It's like I don't really pay attention to current comics, but then I hear, oh, Star Trek with Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious. I'll buy at least the first issue.
0: Yeah. If you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been Chuck Dixon, the iconic, the legendary Chuck Dixon. Chuck, how can our listeners find you online and follow your work?
3: Well, I'm on Facebook. I'm on X. Uh, I have a channel on YouTube. It's just Chuck Dixon where I have a weekly show where I answer questions uh, from the fans and and generally get myself into a lot of trouble every week. So uh, <laughs> they can find me there. And, and you can always put my name in on Amazon. Scroll down the many, many pages. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for always being willing to
0: be on the show.
3: No, I always have fun here. You folks are great.
0: Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for this segment. DK, what'd you think of that? Jeff Dixon's a really awesome guy.
2: hear what he said. He said I was great. You are great. <laughs> <laughs> say
0: that on air. You pay Maybe. me later, okay?
2: Maybe that's the great at the technical stuff, <laughs> especially today.
0: I <laughs> know um, we need to do an end credit and give Sebastian some thanks. I don't for know this what's fun. wrong with me today. I'm, I'm
2: trying to show the video, I'm like enjoying the Albacore video, and um, you know, it's a great video. I, well, well, Sebastian was um, inserted later, I guess. I don't want to risk it again but um, it shows the main characters and the interaction with uh, another main character, Yaira. And once it's inserted, you'll see that at the beginning of this interview, it's, it's amazing. And Chuck Dixon does great work. Um, I've always had a, a lot of respect for Eric July. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, just the thought of him going out and hiring uh, such a, a legend and comic book writing to take over his characters. That really shows to me that he's serious about the Ripperverse and he wants Ripperverse to put out quality stuff. And if you want quality comics, there's nobody better to go to than um, uh, Chuck Dixon. Um, And he put his ego aside and made it happen. It's like me saying, I want Acons to be so great. I'm gonna step aside and let Alan West take over my spot (laughs) <laughs> you know i would never do that
0: <laughs> i know alan did last week you remember alan did a commercial he at the end he he did my intro and my my outro so i don't know maybe he's gunning for Acons.
2: yeah <laughs> man maybe it'll be the three of us maybe the three of us interviewing chuck dixon in a, in a few uh in a few weeks or months when uh his movie comes out um uh, that's the Stallone movie. So yeah, that's uh, hope cool. hope to have him back on the show. Well, before then, but of course, definitely for that, which is going to be amazing. So and I wanted to touch on something else. The, yesterday, uh, a congresswoman from Michigan.
0: I'm going to interrupt you for just a second and just let Chuck know you can stay if you want. We're going to talk about political stuff, but if you need to peel off and do something else, you're welcome to do that as well.
2: <laughs> but if but if you but if you stay, we're gonna ask you to participate, you know <laughs> throw some political pains in the wind.
3: Enough trouble. I get in enough trouble on my own.
0: <laughs> I know I know. Terrence is probably one of the most banned people on the internet from almost every liberal platform that there is. But I did let Alan know that that you're a fan, so he was pretty Oh yeah, no, he was no pretty stoked by that.
3: He is the boss.
0: So. He is the boss, that's true. That's what right. I call him. So
3: <laughs> all right, well, I'm gonna take off and let you two solve the So problems. much.
0: All right. <laughs> take care. Right. Bye. So that hey, so, was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he um almost like somebody I've been reading since I was a youngster, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, he wrote Nightfall in the in the nineties. You know,
0: you weren't a kid in the '90s.
2: No, I'm I'm pretty no. young. No, <laughs> no, sure other
0: was, way, other way sure on the, on the clock, with, of Grim Reaper. Uh, <laughs> <you love myself.
2: laughs> so I want to talk about uh, our girl Yoshida Tlaib, who released this horrific video on on Twitter the other day, of all places, when she calls for the elimination of Israel as a as a state. I think the motto they use is from the, the river to the sea, Palestine will be free.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: everyone who uses that expression, no matter what they say about it afterwards, they they calling for the elimination of Israel as yes. a state. Um, and she just went out and said it, and she, she tried to deny it earlier um, on Twitter. She put out this tweet saying she's calling for peace and love and so forth. <laughs> I, I want to remind everybody who... Uh, Rashida Tlaib is, and I'm going to try once again. Um, Hopefully I won't screw this up. This is from 2019. This is when she was a so-called young congresswoman. Can you see it? Yes. Oh, I I did it right this time. This is 2019. Uh, Young congress, new congresswoman Tlaib displays map Of Israel replaced by Palestine, Mm. and that's who she is. And she, she, she may try to deny it now, but she is somebody who does not believe in uh, in an Israeli state. She wants it replaced by Palestine, and as I argue in the piece I'm going to put on Substack very quick, uh, very soon, that is not in the best interest of anyone except people who want to see Israel not exist for no other reason other than it, Israel offends them. The fact that there's a Jewish state just offends them. You know, replacing Israel with Palestine is, is bad for the neighbors in the region, it's bad for the United States, and most of all, it's is bad for the Gazans who, <laughs> who have been, suffering under the yoke of this terrorist group Hamas for a long time. Hamas, um, there was a story in the New York Post the other day when um, the Gazans attempted to leave uh, Gaza and Hamas fighters are shooting them in the back, you know, to keep them from escaping. They are launching missiles at Israel from mosques and schools. They are um, taking refuge in refugee camps, uh, believe it or not. So when Israel goes after a Hamas leader, they have to, they have to uh, bomb a refugees camp, and they don't seem to have any concern for the people they're supposed to be representing. There've been so many opportunities for the people of Gaza to live in liberty. That was the expression uh, another squad member, to, um, Ilian Omar used yesterday. She said she was going to fight for Polis- Palestinians to live in liberty. Well, if you want Palestinians to live in liberty, you have to get rid of Hamas. And, you know, if you, if we can't do it, step aside and let Israel do it. They want to do it. Stop calling for ceasefires, you know, and giving Hamas time to regroup and recover. Let Israel go in. I know there would be uh, horrific casualties on both sides, but... I mean, th- sometimes that's necessary. Look at the United States during the Civil War or our World War II, how we fought Japan and and Germany. You know, we went into Germany not to to eliminate the Nazi Party, not concerned about German civilians, and we did the same in Japan. We we killed a lot of Japanese uh, citizens in World War II after Pearl Harbor, and and. It's tragic, but, you know, at the time, Japan was being led by one of the worst governments one, one can imagine. They were horrific, mm-hmm. you know, attacking the United States was the least of their crimes. So and that's basically what I want to argue. That's basically what I'm going to put on Substack. You know, it's the best interest of the world and it's the best interest of God to step aside and let Israel do what it has to do.
0: And on that note, we are going to end this segment of African-American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Be sure to go to acons.substack.com, or you can go to africanamericanconservatives.com. It'll point right over there and you can see this excellent blog article from DK that will be posted shortly, as well as our social media platforms and uh, where you can subscribe to this particular podcast. So this is Marie saying goodbye from Studio C and
2: this is DK have a have a great day and see you next week
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement you can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash AACONS and also, you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash AACONS forward slash support.